you probably all know we came across the first time during the war for our safety. But the engines of our ship let go and the rest of the convoy sailed on without us, leaving us adrift. They told us, they told us children that if we spoke or coughed or moved an inch, that the U-boats would catch the vibrations through the hull and we would die in the drink right there in the hold. Three nights and two days, we stayed quiet. A four-year-old and a five-and-a-half-year-old speaking with our eyes. So, there's a little sob story. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. We have arrived at the penultimate episode of the entire series of Succession, an episode called Church and State. Just some quick reminders. We have a pretty long conversation here, I think, so we'll get into it pretty quickly. <laughs> we'll be wrapping up the finale, the final episode of Yellow Jackets later this week on Friday, hopefully, <laughs> if uh, scheduling permits. And then, of course, Barry, expect to see a week, uh, expect to see an episode later this week covering the very interesting penultimate episode of Barry. And of course, that will be wrapping up next week as well. And with the holiday, you might be getting that succession finale episode earlier than expected. And I'll just announce it quickly here that I plan to be covering The Idol. <laughs> HBO oh, show, no. The Idol. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and that'll be starting just exactly one week after the wrap up of uh, Succession. You know what? And just sign me up for it. I still haven't watched the preview. <laughs> I'll do it. It'll be a surprise to you. You know what? Going blind. That's yes. better. It is premiering, by the way, at Cannes. Uh, I think today it has its premiere. They're going to show either two or three episodes. These are just some news for a show that's not even out yet. But apparently they were trying to decide whether they would show the first two or the first three episodes, because apparently there's some crazy twist that happens in the third. So they were kind of trying, HBO was trying to decide, do we want to leave them hanging that? Maybe it'll start a lot of conversation, or maybe it'll be too much information to give to the public ahead of time. So either way, I am intrigued by this show, and uh, I think it'll be interesting. And most importantly of all, Sona, it's only six episodes. So if it's absolutely terrible, <laughs> we have a pretty short in and out on it. Good to know. And a lot of other things I'll be covering in June as well. And stay tuned. I'll get into more of that soon. But with all that out of the way, let's talk about this episode, Church and State. Sona, before we start the conversation, I was just last night, or even I guess it was in the afternoon, I was preparing for what I might talk about in this particular episode. And I was thinking maybe because it's the funeral, maybe there'll be a lot of slack in the amount of time of what plot points to cover, etc. So I started doing a little psychoanalysis of the characters started thinking maybe it's time to start talking about intergenerational trauma and the way that maybe the biggest theme of this whole entire show, the damage we do to our kids, you know, something we worry as having young children, of course, I'm sure. Absolutely. We pass down from one generation to the next. So I started thinking about, well, let's think about Logan's backstory and, and Ewan, and we really don't know that backstory about Rose. So I started taking these notes, like, 
things I wanted to speculate upon, basically thinking, well, we're not going to get these answers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And as I'm taking these notes ahead of time, and I'm like, you know what? Let me wait and see. Maybe I'll take these notes now, but let's not talk about it now. Let's wait till the show is over. Okay, Let's slow your roll a little bit, Victor, okay? <laughs> Apparently, the showrunners have been thinking about these things as well, because they kind of lay it all out here very explicitly in this episode. They sure do. I think I'll show you some of those notes that I was taking uh, and get your feedback as we get into some of the breakdown of the plot here, because a lot of the question marks I had were, are addressed here specifically. Okay, we kick things off. Roman is rehearsing his speech. Seems pretty confident about this. He's very cocky, as he usually is. Uh, explicitly, by the way, he starts thinking like he's going to be the man. Everyone's going to be eating out of his hands or <laughs> even cruder than that over, by mm -hmm. the end of this speech. His expectations there. He makes fun of Kenny's going to be lying. Shivy's going to be crying. And he blah, blah, blahs over all the weepy stuff, the sad, 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 as he calls it. Yeah, literally blah, blah, blahs it. <laughs> yes, interestingly, right? That he's blah, blah, blahing over all that stuff, which makes him break down later on. <laughs> and I just want to call out that I had speculated based on the trailer that we would not see him successfully give this speech. So I was right on that regard. Yes, you were. <laughs> and you, I was going to call out, were absolutely correct about the very next scene we see where Shiv is talking to Matson and saying, are you ready to come forward with those numbers? Because no one is going <laughs> to, you're going to yep, bury those bury numbers it. today. <laughs> so you were absolutely correct on that. So we both got a little check mark in our win columns last week. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm still way, way uh, greater number of misses than hits, but I'll take it. Matson mentions he's not comfortable releasing these numbers because if you're not well endowed, let's say, you shouldn't uh, go to a nude beach. Mm -hmm. To which Shiv mentions that there's a tsunami coming. No one's checking the dicks, as she says. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas gets a little dig in saying America's, uh, if you exclude black people, America's uh, democracy is only about 50 years old, almost as mature as Botswana's. I, I love that exchange. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's Ken doing in preparation She's, he's talking to Rava, finding out that she's heading out of the city. Just like the fact that there's people doing a bull run down the whole, the entirety of uh, Manhattan. How did they keep this under wraps? This is a pretty large production here to have all these people in the streets. It doesn't seem like there were any kind of spoilers early in the year that there was going to be mass riots on this show. Yeah, I didn't think about it while I was watching it, but you're making a good point, And I really don't know the answer. I mean, you live there. You've, you know, you hear right on, right on the news in the morning that like this... Avenue was shut down for this movie production. Yeah, right? and they put up, you know, signs everywhere saying, at least in my neighborhood, my neighborhood is fairly popular for filming. Often, though, you know, there's a sign, you can't park here on X date because there's a filming. And the project is always given a name. But I right, would say 90% right. of the time, it's a fake name. Right. They probably shot a lot of these scenes using these fake names so that people didn't really have spoilers. Yeah, so... Maybe between a fake name and doing it in the middle of the night or something. Um, true, although true. it sure seemed to be daytime, but I think they can do <laughs> some pretty impressive things with lighting. True, um, true. You know, maybe very hard to keep anything a secret in this city, especially in the time of social media. Rava is heading out because of uh, this unrest within the city, people protesting the election results, which of course are still ongoing. This is very early in this process of contesting them. And this is an incredible sequence, maybe one of the really most amazing sequences here in this episode of, of great sequences, he tells his driver to intercept Rava, get there uh, under any means, have to be there within three minutes. He intercepts the car and then he has like a tantrum. This is my dad's funeral day, which that is a legitimate point, obviously. Mm -hmm. But this tantrum he throws where it's like, you're just doing this 
to hurt me. You're, you're, you're uh, what is he? He, he accuses her of uh, living too much online and that he's, she's overreacting. All of this is just so ridiculous that his need for that comfort in this day, when he's basically an absentee parent, usurps, you know, anyone else's concerns, basically. It's, it's incredible. It's true, but I think it's also his denial of what he's been complicit in, right? True, true. That, like he's understanding there are consequences to supporting Mencken, and part of that consequence is this is somebody who, um, and I think I know people that felt this way with Trump, and I felt this way with Trump. I know we don't really try and talk about politics, but is somebody who literally thinks of my daughter as less than. And I've supported him, right? And what does that say about me? What does that say about my decisions? What does that say about what I think about anyone besides myself, even the closest people to me? I think a lot of this episode had that feel of that meme. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. right? (laughs) And I felt like this was the start of that. Yeah, I think you make a really excellent point there that I hadn't considered. He's still in that in-between space he was in last week. We barely discussed this piece of dialogue, but Roman says, nothing happened tonight. We just made some good television. And Shiv says, something did happen. Some like Things do happen. And Roman's mm-hmm. opinion is like, no, it doesn't. Nothing ever matters. Right. It doesn't matter. During that exchange, you see that Kendall is thinking, what have I done? And mm-hmm. now- one day later saying, you're too online. You're taking this too seriously. So mm-hmm. it's like he's trying to convince himself to think it's like- It's not Roman. so bad. Yeah. And of course, I think he also needs that comfort. He knows it's going to be rough for him that day yeah, dealing with his absolutely. dad's loss. And you see it also where you know he meets up with Jess that morning and she he starts saying, <laughs> we're going to sue my- Wife, I like it. This idea he's going to have a, a immediate injunction. This is how powerful he thinks he is. Uh, you know, remove. You know, so that they wouldn't be allowed to exit the city. And Rav is just like, sure, sure, <laughs> whatever. Jess, of course, is hearing this, and she goes, what, "What's this other thing on that? What's this meeting we have?" And of course, he suspects it right away. So he basically forces her to have the conversation at that moment. And this is another incredibly bratty moment for him where he's saying, no one can give you a better job than this one. Being my personal assistant, yes, that's the most thrilling job you could ever have in your life, Jess. And any idea that she's climbing some kind of corporate ladder, she's been doing the same job for, what, four years now with this guy? Like, It's not Mm -hmm. leading anywhere. (laughs) He just wants her to be there to pat his head and tell him he's doing okay. And he needs her again today. And of course, now have been hurt by this exchange with her, which I think is great, by the way, that he says, thanks a lot for doing this to me today, Jess, which of course it's hilarious because he forced her to have the conversation. The only thing I can say in defense of his position is as a person who has looked at my Outlook calendar or Gmail calendar and (laughs) gone, when did that get there? What is this? Why am I supposed to meet this person? Am I in trouble? She probably should have waited to put that on the calendar until the next day. But being with the Robin thing, again, Jess is a woman of color. What did yep. you expect to happen here? And he says, is this about Mencken? And she's, you know, you kind of feel like her face is saying it's not not about Mencken. So <laughs> right. it's again, like, how can I support someone who their messaging is I don't count as much as them. Like, what am I even doing here? So I believe her that she's been thinking about this for a while, but I also believe this is the foot, you know, final push towards, well, what the heck? I got to go. And I think that's maybe a little critique of 
this generation of Greg's generation and Jess's as well in the fact that they were kind of like, well, I'm just going with the flow. It's a job. I get paid well. It's just TV. It's just this. Someone's going to say this. And now maybe this is the moment where Jess is just like, you know what? <laughs> I've compromised myself so many times here hanging out with these people. Maybe it's just time to finally just move on. Final straw. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine my monk her social her social group? <laughs> They're like, "What's your job exactly?" Really? That guy? <laughs> Think about how Kendall has changed here. He was this supposed outsider. He was going to change mm-hmm. the culture at the company. He wasn't like his dad. And even if they laughed at him, like ah, he's saying he's a progressive, this is just branding. She's still on that side of this transformation. Yes. And now she's yes. like on side of someone who is openly like, I can be more like my dad than my dad was. And that's like, well, mm-hmm. maybe that's not what I signed up for. If you're trying to say, we're going to have a moderate Republican in office and that's our brand. And now you're gonna be like, we're gonna have a Nazi in office and that's uh-huh. our brand. That's quite a different thing. It's not, <laughs> right, right. Tom is upset <laughs> that he is not more central in the story. And he's basically <laughs> saying like, hey, look, if I'm going to get all this bad press being tarred by the whole Mencken ascendancy, I should at least get like some goodies for it, not be like buried in the article. <laughs> the siblings all get into that same limousine together. And Shiv finally announces that she's pregnant. Finally. <laughs> Roman gets extremely gross here. Oh is my it mine? Gosh. What a train wreck Roman is for this entire episode. When she says it definitely is Tom's, he scoffs like, well, you know, like as if it was an open question. He also accuses her of, her of the weight gain, basically saying that I thought you were just eating your emotions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then says that if he catches her breastfeeding, he might have to masturbate. Uh, <laughs> just, just one disgusting thing after another coming out of his Yikes. mouth, which of course is all his his armor here his discomfort for what's to come. Importantly, though, we find out here, which I think is going to play into the finale, the mom, Caroline, has invited them, the family, out to a Caribbean, an airing out or something, basically like a yeah, place to- Yeah, something like that. Like a post-funeral family get-together where they get to unwind and kind of unburden themselves, which never happens at these getaways. But I do think that next week's giant one-and-a-half-hour episode will probably be at least partially set in this locale. When they arrive at the funeral, Kendall mentions, as he looks around, so many money changers in the temple today, which is a reference to the Bible. (laughs) Oh, I missed that. Thanks for pointing it out. I mean, I heard the statement, but I didn't know it was a reference to the Bible. It's like people betraying Jesus's (laughs) teachings. Mm. But if Logan's not a money grubber, I I don't know who is, so I'm not sure about that. Mm. And at this point, Roman is really feeling himself. He's very confident. He goes to Frank and says, hey, you know, if Kendall is not willing to play, it's me and you, Frank. I'm going to take the whole thing. And Frank just grunts. And Roman walks away and goes, thanks for the conversation or something like that. (laughs) But of course, Frank, he had the same interaction with Kendall the night before. So he's like, "Mm, yes, (laughs) sure. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Greg asks Roman also if he can hook him up with a meeting with Mencken. And Greg says that he is part of the crowning committee, <laughs> takes partial responsibility for everything that's happened. Boy. And Roman's like, sure, sure, whatever. <laughs> this is when Caroline arrives. Shiv makes a reference to 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> that she might be Quilla DeVille. <laughs> this is great, by the way. Caroline sees Shiv and immediately oh knows she's gosh. pregnant. <laughs> no one knew she was pregnant. Caroline oh sees gosh. her for 10 seconds and is like, oh. <laughs> that's the connection of a parent, I guess. (laughs) And a woman who's been pregnant before. 
Yeah. Yikes. Meanwhile, Tom is having sex with her and didn't notice. Yes. And not exactly an enthused reaction either. No. I mean, no. <laughs> yikes. Are you well? <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> and Peter's there with her. She says, Peter's so excited. I think he brought his <laughs> autograph book. Yikes. And then the best thing of all, Peter comes over. He's like, so sorry for your loss. Daddy's here. That's exactly oh what these kids got to hear from Peter. Daddy's here. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lucas meets up with Shiv here as well. And he says, hey, I've been thinking about this. If Mencken does win this whole thing, is it really so bad for a tall blonde guy like me? <laughs> <laughs> Shiv makes this pitch that, well, maybe one way to placate him is to assign an American CEO. And for a second here, I thought she wasn't going to take it. She's like, uh, um, uh, well, and then she just kind of asserts herself and says, well, how about me? But there is a moment there where she seems like she's going to be coy about this. Like, what are you talking about? Like, isn't this what you're planning? Like, it, it just was Maybe weird. she was hoping it would be his idea. But then when he didn't come up with it, she had to put it out there. <laughs> he immediately says, you're a little underqualified, aren't you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then another absolutely incredible scene, a little emotional, honestly, surprisingly, Carrie shows up with her weird-looking brother and a lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> just in case she ran into any problems when she tried to go inside. And then Caroline grabs Sally Ann, so this woman, I don't think she's been on the show before, Sally Ann, mm -hmm. also grabs Carrie and is like, hey, let's go sit in the front pew, which I thought was just trolling by Caroline at this point. Caroline introduces her to Marsha, which of course she already knew her, and says, this is uh, Sally Ann. She was my Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> twisted ouch but then they all sit together and once again i thought this was all going to be a joke or just caroline being a troll marcia says well at least he won't grind his teeth tonight and carrie smiles and then starts crying and marcia touches her hand it was like very sweet this is surprising emotion here on the show i thought the whole thing was sick and twisted <laughs> <laughs> i didn't move you not at all <laughs> i was very moved by carrie crying there at that moment when she showed her a little bit of compassion you're like, agree to disagree. <laughs> Tom contacts Greg and says, I can't make it. There's just too much news happening today, which is true. But I think that he's intentionally avoiding the funeral. We'll, we'll get to that towards the end of the episode. And he's supposed to be one of the wheelmen. He's supposed to carry the coffin. Mm -hmm. so what's a weird terminology to be one of the wheelmen? I mean, I've never heard that before Me this neither. episode. Me I mean, Paul Bearer is the typical... Yeah, Peter's like, oh, you need someone to take the wheel? <laughs> Everybody knows this terminology. It's very strange. Like they've all been to way too many funerals. <laughs> they both offer to pick up the wheel. Shiv says yes to Greg and no to Peter. <laughs> so the four wheelmen, apparently, pallbearers, are Greg, Ewan in the front, and Frank and Carl in the back. And this is when they all settle in. And boy, here's where we got to start talking about stuff because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Ewan decides to go up and talk first. And they want Greg to intercept him. Greg does a bad job. Ewan gets up there and says, who would prevent their brother from talking at his brother's funeral just because of a stock price or something like that? Mm -hmm. And then they're probably thinking he's going to go up there and lambast him. But he gets up there and man, he tells this story how they were on a boat, terrified, mm -hmm. just four and five years old, afraid of being attacked by a U-boat, surviving the trip coming to Canada where they had this abusive relationship with the uncle. We know about the abuse in the past from, it's been hinted at. We've also seen scarring on Logan's back mm -hmm, at different mm -hmm. times when he's uh, you know been in the bathtub or at the beach. And we assume that's the physical abuse he suffered from his uncle. And we find out that he 
went off to a boarding school. They paid for him. His his uncle was rich, so they paid for him to go to a good school. He cried until they brought him back home. He was lonely. He was scared. And then the baby daughter, Rose, this is the mystery that's never has been re resolved here finally in the show, died of polio. And they blamed Logan, that he had brought the polio back and killed her. And Ewan basically says, I don't know if that was true, but one thing is for sure that his aunt and uncle did not dissuade him of, the, him, of that. And he held that for all his life. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of things here that I wanted to bring up. When I was trying to think about this intergenerational trauma and how it gets passed down from parents to their children, and then maybe again, you know, does the poison seep through, as uh, Kendall said last week? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, well, what was Logan's upbringing, right? So you have this story where Logan was scared as a little boy. He was afraid to be away from his family and his brother maybe at that boarding school and basically became this stereotypical callous uh, cliche of masculinity. And it's as if he was driven by this weakness that he showed when he was younger. Mm. Oh, one more thing, by the way, is... Uh, there's a, on Reddit there, of course, on Reddit, there is a freeze frame of the will that they found in his drawer earlier in the, the season, this season. And one of the things he has is that when he's buried, he wants to be buried with a photograph of Rose, by the way. So it's something that still weighs on him, obviously. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what Ewan ha has said here, this compassion he had for his brother, the love they had when they were practically the same age and they experienced all these traumas together, but then their different reaction to it as they grew older. He was a man who has, here and there, drawn in the edges of the world, now and then darkened the skies a little, closed men's hearts, fed that dark flame in men, the hard, mean, hard-relenting flame that keeps their hearths warm while another grows cold, their grain stashed, well, another goes hungry. And then, of course, he ends the eulogy by saying, however, he became a cold man. Some of the things he says here is that he closed mm -hmm. his heart and he closed men's hearts. He closed other people's hearts as well. And then at the end, he said that he was meager and that he appealed to the meagerness in others. Ewan says, maybe I'm a meager person too, but I try. And at some right. point, he stopped trying. Mm -hmm. This show that's really all about family dynamics. What do you think it says about the overall family dynamic here of the of the Roys? Well, the eulogy was honest. Well, I think the whole thing was very heartfelt. Parts of it were maybe not appropriate for a eulogy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> right? I think what we have seen time and again of Logan is that no one can really bite their tongue when it comes to his downsides, right? Most people could get through it saying like the people that knew, knew, and there's no reason to announce it at this time, you know, this person's shortcomings, right? This is not the time right. or place to discuss that. But he somehow has this effect on people that no one can keep their mouths shut anytime they're given the opportunity, whether it's in the final words they might be saying to him on the phone or the eulogy, nobody can just zip it and play nice for a couple minutes because they are so scarred by what he has done bigger picture. It's kind of what we talked about last week. And we've talked about before these family dynamics, just the way people are wired, you're doomed to repeat it unless you assertively try and confront it and be different. And so I think, you know, that's what he was trying to say is that 
you know, Ewan recognized the damage that it did and did his best to try and reverse that for the next generation. Whereas Logan just, you know, for whatever reason, human beings seem to think you can repeat the same thing and get a different outcome. I think he just kind of did what he grew up with. And these are the consequences. A couple of things there. One thing is just like a, a critique I have of this, of this moment. When Ewan pivots and starts getting negative, the camera is panning through the crowd. And Carl looks right at the camera. Like he looks at us. It's like we're watching The Office or something, which was distracting mm-hmm. to me. It's like they've never used this technique before. And I thought it was a little kind of like, <laughs> I don't know why they would choose that, to be honest. It's just a little distracting to me. It actually bothered me. The second thing I was going to mention is the fact that, speaking of Shakespeare on the show and references to Shakespeare on the show, this is uh, Julius Caesar, right? Where Caesar dies, Brutus, who killed him, by the way, which is not the case here, obviously, his brother, Ewan did not kill Mm. Logan in the bathroom, (laughs) but he goes up there and he does the whole friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ear. That's the speech that starts that way. And he basically says, Caesar was this great man. He was a great friend of mine, but he had this ego and he was power hungry And uh, that's what led to his downfall, basically. And then Mark Anthony comes up and does a reversal and riles up the crowd and they turn on the assassin. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what's represented here. But in between that, when, you know, we get to the Mark Anthony moment where um, Kendall saves the day in a way, Roman is actually going to do the counterpoint to Ewan's eulogy. And he just breaks down, right? Like this is- I mean, great performance by uh, uh, Culkin here. Phenomenal, yes. This this is just excruciating, right? His voice gets so small. It's like, wow, it's just incredible. Like just this amazing- Like watching a little boy. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what I think is so interesting about explicitly in this episode is you can't help but think about these family dynamics. You suddenly have to see Logan, who is this monster in everybody's eyes, and he's been so powerful across this entire season. And then we suddenly have to have this empathy of what was he like as a little boy? The trauma he experienced to become the person he became, like basically, I'll never be um, beaten again. I'll never be weak again because of the torment he suffered as a child. And then he creates this version of himself. But then, of course, he then becomes the abuser of his own children. Mm-hmm which of course is often the case, obviously. But more yes. importantly is to see Kendall, you know, talking to Jess. And when Jess is like saying, well, you know, it's time for me to move on. And he just starts yelling at her, you're stupid. You're mm-hmm. stupid. Like who is this adult who's yelling at this personal assistant calling her stupid? And who is Roman here at this moment, cowering practically, uh, you know, speaking this little voice. Is that him in there? We got to let him out. Like he mm-hmm. is having a, a breakdown right at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then the cherry on top of that, and we, we definitely have to talk about Kendall's eulogy, but might as well jump ahead to when we get Shiv's version of the mm-hmm. eulogy, where she says the story she goes up there, the thing she wants to say that she feels has not been said, is them as children outside his office, trying to get his attention, trying to make enough a, no- a noise just to get his attention, and then he comes out and yells at them and terrifies them, but that's they, but they kept doing it because it was the only attention they got from him, right? Mm-hmm. Also very interesting that he she kind of speaks on behalf of all the women in the show that he was not good with women. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he like really couldn't have a whole woman. It's a great piece of dialogue, by the mm-hmm. way. Never really have a whole woman in his head at any given yeah. time. You know, they're children who are either acting like children or talking about the trauma they had uh, as children. But then I've kind of skipped right over. Once again, Kendall, he's got a perform or fail his next really on the line he does it this is an incredible mm-hmm. eulogy 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's it's an Ayn Randian philosophy here, but he's like, he did stuff. He was a brute. He was mean to us. He, you know, kept everybody at a distance, including his kids. But then he made stuff. He made buildings. He made this empire. He made money. Uh, he changed the world, right? And then that's what mm-hmm. you need to do to change the world. This is the Mark Anthony uh, eulogy, right? It, it, to that, you know, he says the same thing about Caesar, that Caesar built all this, right? Like you can complain about it, but he built all this. <laughs> <laughs> It was the best we heard, right, of all yes. of them, as far as being a gentle and a gentler interpretation right. of who Logan was. Still a good injection of reality in there, I feel. I agree this is a pattern we've seen with Kendall. This does seem to be his strong suit, pulling out the big speech when push yeah. comes to yeah. shove. Yeah, and making the pitch, right? He makes mm-hmm. a convincing pitch for Logan, in a positive light, like you mentioned, and it is definitely reacting to Ewan's response, right? I mean, he's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. overtly reacting to what Ewan has said. A couple of things I want to call out here uh, during his speech. He says that he made a lot of things. He made me and my three siblings, and they cut to Caroline. (laughs) I like her being like, where's my, where am I in this, in this conversation? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Something he says towards the end, there wasn't a room that he wasn't comfortable in, Logan, that is. Which, of course, is not the case for the siblings at all. We have definitely seen that, yes. And now people might want to tend and prune the memory of him, to denigrate that force, that magnificent, awful force of him. But my God, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his them, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. Now, there wasn't a room from the grandest stateroom where his advice was sought to the lowest house where his news played, where he couldn't walk and wasn't comfortable. He was comfortable with this world and he knew it. He knew it and he liked it. And I say amen to that. He said these things, he said them to the richest people, the poorest people, and he liked it. He liked all of it, right? And that, once again, to the point that Logan's made critical critically of them, they don't get all the parts of this business. Definitely. Also going back to Shiv's speech there, at the end, he, she says, goodbye to my world of a father. So just speaking once again to this explicitly, how massive he was in their mind. Mm-hmm. Mark Millad, the director, talked about how they basically shot this once again, like he's done yeah. other things. They shot this like a play. And they did it over and over again, like not that many times, maybe three times. And they have the camera people roving around. And then, of course, they have backups. So like when they need to cut to the crowd, if someone was, if a camera person was in there, then they have an alternate shot, yada, 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 you know, technical stuff. But what importantly is that they are just roaming around the crowd and they're just playing this out like a giant play. And they're just getting people's reactions to it. Uh, Very Robert Altman-esque, if anybody knows Robert Altman in that style. So they're getting these kind of honest reactions from the actors, I would assume, in in the moment. But anyway, while she's speaking, we have this shot, this cutaway to Lucas in the crowd. He's not laughing at her for being emotional on stage. How do you read his expression? What what did you think? Or if you caught it at all? I did catch it, but I'm having a hard time recreating it in my mind right now. Like What I took from it in the moment, I think Lucas respected Logan. But I think he also sees the bad things about Logan. And I kind of felt like he was just processing this bunch of people here to pay their respects to someone who's done so many terrible things and the kids are struggling with how to deal with it, too. I felt like that's what he was reflecting back. I actually did rewatch it uh, just to, to take notes. 
And his face really softens when he's looking at her. So there's some compassion there, which is a little off brand for him, let's say. <laughs> Shiv, when she's up there, says another interesting thing before she gets to that line about my world of a father. She basically <laughs> describes her dad using the same dialogue of people who are in abusive relationships or were like married to psychopaths. She <laughs> says that he was so removed and so remote, but that when his light shone on you, that yes. it was so warming. So she's using the language of abuse here mm -hmm. explicitly. And it's really just the story of their lives, right? Like looking yes, for that approval, yes. looking to get that sun shining on them, even just for a few minutes. I mean, as if the show hasn't crystallized this a hundred times before, it's just the fact that that's all they are doing, right? It's the same interactions they have where they group up together. They're all friendly again. They're all trying to cut each other's throats the night before. By the end of the day, they'll be all joking inappropriately in, in, in a limousine together. And then it'll start over again, right? Because mm -hmm. it's in arrested development. And most people, by the way, to some extent, at least present that, that they have changed their behavior. They act like that. At least they have matured in some way over time. These people just revert back to these childish versions of themselves over and over again, which I feel like, you know, Logan probably sensed. It probably concerned him, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but once again, he has made these people into who they are. So I'm, exactly. I don't have that much, so much empathy for him there either. As they're heading out from this funeral, Mencken says to Kendall, that was perfect. He shakes mm -hmm. his hands. And they plan to talk a little more later, and they definitely do. And Hugo comes over and says, he's been talking to Ebba. Ebba has been ratting out Lucas behind his back, telling him that he's working with Shiv. Lucas should not be <laughs> confiding in Ebba. I gotta seriously, tell you. <laughs> seriously. Especially after sending her blocks of blood. If you mm -hmm. only have her around, because she can blackmail you, you got to take her out of the inner circle. <laughs> right. Don't give her more information. <laughs> exactly. We've been talking about how short this timeline is. Just days have passed since this guy died. We're at the funeral. I mean, I understand time is of the essence, but talking right. business in the church seems to me like a bridge <laughs> too far. Not for nothing, but if we take it out of the context, not of the show, because obviously this person was huge in the minds of the children. But if you think about Hugo, this is just his boss. Hugo wasn't hanging out with Logan mm -hmm. every single day, right? There were whole seasons of the show where we didn't even see Hugo. He's become much bigger now that mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. much more of a recurring character now that Logan is dead. He's just his boss died and uh, he almost died a couple of years before. So it's like not the uh, the biggest surprise in the world. He's making his, you know, he's angling and still doing his job as most people do in these type of circumstances. And Ebba, what does Ebba know? She's just, she's just passing the time. She doesn't know this guy at all. <laughs> Eva is just, yeah, I got to go to this thing tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We got to make an appearance. I'm the comms person. <laughs> I got to be there at least, make some FaceTime. <laughs> Although I hate every moment of it. And the communications she's doing are nothing but bad for her company. Keep her mouth shut. <laughs> they arrive at the cemetery. Connor knows all about the $5 million mausoleum. So interesting, yes. I thought. Once again, a very interesting thing, I thought, that the kids have no idea about this. Connor, because Connor is a little bit... Outside, he was never really that close to his dad intentionally. He kind of just took his money and I guess his dad could just have conversations with him. Whereas these kids, everything was way too personal to ever have Charged, this bullshit yeah. conversations with him. Mm -hmm. So he knew all about this. He's like, oh, let me show you around. He's been here before. <laughs> he <laughs> yes. like knows the place. I like the fact that they call him Cat Food Ozymandias because apparently the guy who originally bought this mausoleum mm -hmm. was some like dot com, like I guess like pets.com is the analogy here. Yes. A millionaire. Who probably lost his billions at some point. An ostentatious 
<laughs> location. Ship says that maybe they could take it as a tax deduction because they could call it as residence. Yes. Dad never wanted to be underground. Maybe that's Connor's theory of the situation. Connor makes a joke about, hey, why don't we all move in here when we're dead? Well, it had enough drawers for everybody. It, definitely. Yeah. So I think there was some planning there, I actually think. It, it, it is very possible that you might be correct. Con said, I'll have to talk to, to uh, Willa. Mm -hmm. I was thinking cryogenics. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I'll take the top bunk. <laughs> <laughs> Kendall goes, I don't know. I had trouble finishing a scotch with him. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> and Roman does not enter the mausoleum, by the way, importantly, he stays mm -hmm. outside. But he does mention, he just says, he made me breathe funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nobody's really enthused by this, except for Connor. Connor's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> not a bad place, all things considered. Shiv is disturbed once again by this, trying to get some more feedback from everybody and says, was he a bad guy? Says this to Frank. Frank is with Carl. Frank says, he was a salty dog, but he was a good egg. A salty dog and a good egg. <laughs> Two interesting metaphors mixed there. Yeah. I mean, that's really just talking around the situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Carl does about the same saying, what you saw is what you got, <laughs> which is honest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair, which is saying like, you already know the answer. So you're asking this question, hoping to get a different answer than what you know, right. but you already right. know like the that, answer. Right. Like that I didn't know him. And mm -hmm. Carl's just saying, like, you did. <laughs> that was yep. him. That was it. <laughs> all. There was no there was no facade. That was it. There was nothing deeper. That was all. And she runs into Marsha. This is probably the last time we'll see Marsha on the show, I would guess. And Marsha says, I loved him very much. I'll miss him very much. He broke my heart and he broke all of your hearts also. And I mm -hmm. think that's Marsha's exit. And she'll take her hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> that's right. And live very, very well. Shopping in Milan. And then before they leave the graveyard, this is like a moment here. I think the theme music even changes where I think Kendall becomes Logan. And maybe this is a sign that he is indeed going to be the successor here on the show. He finds Hugo and he basically says, this is me explicitly saying that I'm fucking the deal. After finding out about Shiv's betrayal, he's been very friendly to her here at the, at the cemetery and now says, love is contingent or life is contingent. Life is contingent. People who say that they love you will fuck you. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you are not going to be my confidant. You're going to be my dog, but the food scraps will be millions. And then he says, happy? <laughs> and uh, Hugo goes, woof, woof. He sold his and, soul. What does it matter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's paying the bill? Exactly. As Kendall gets into the limousine, he looks back and we see the shot of the mausoleum, like fills the screen. So it's like almost like a passing of the torch here. Mm -hmm. You know, if Logan was waiting for one of the kids to have that killer instinct. And we have that moment at the end of season two where Kendall tries to undercut him. We have that press conference and he kind of smirks at it. Well, look, now he's maybe fully become Logan here. Which, you know, would kind of bring it back full circle to the very beginning of the show where Kendall was yeah. supposed to be taking over everything. So in that way, it feels like the circle would be complete. I think ideally this is what Logan wanted. He just never really trusted Kendall, you know, Kendall had his addiction problems. Kendall had a tendency to, you know, spin out of control, get manic when things started going his way. But I do think that Logan did want Kendall to be that another version of him and to have a continuity there with the company. I think Logan liked the power too much too. He wasn't ready yet. Oh, he would never have given that. Yeah. He thought he was going to live forever. Yeah. For sure. 
at this, I don't know if you would call this a wake. I guess they already had a wake, so I don't know what this would specifically be. But uh, Yeah, so, I think it's um, like the repast, I want to say. Kendall is trying to make some moves already. First, he finds poor Colin. Poor Colin. Mm-hmm. He's been going to therapy, missing Logan so badly. And apparently he's not happy. He's not working. He's had too much time on his hands thinking. Kendall says, come talk to me. Come work with me. And he seems to take him up on it, but he does have this kind of look, this, this kind of questioning look I on mean, his face. I mean, he literally says he doesn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He literally says, I don't like the sound of that or something to that effect. <laughs> Tries very weakly to say, mm, I'll pass, but Kendall doesn't hear it. And of course, Kendall is wanting to keep him in the fold because he knows the secrets. Obviously, he's the one who covered them up. Mm. Then he, of course, goes and addresses Mencken. And he finds something else out here. He thought that life is contingent and that people who you love betray you. Guess what? He was like, Shiv didn't make that call. And Mankin's going to be my man. He's going to block this deal. Mankin looks at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Roman, yeah, I'll just see like what I can gr- do. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was so funny, by the way. I, I didn't call it out in our recap last week. When everybody's saying, for example, Shiv is like saying, Oh, I talked to him, but I didn't talk like all that fancy footwork to to lie. Roman's just like, what do you need to hear? Sure, I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was clearly just saying yes to everybody. And uh, and th- you tell them what they want to hear, they believe it. As simple as that. And of course, now we get the situation where Kendall's like, so you're blocking that deal, right? And Mankin's like, eh, we'll see. I'll see if I can do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I honestly feel at this moment, and I, I felt it even before, that I don't even think he's had that explicit conversation with Roman. I think he's probably only had a, a cursory conversation about it. He kind of cocks his head to the side, like he's listening intently. Either he never said it, or if he said it, he said it in passing. And he's like, he has not thought about it until this moment again. <laughs> Interesting. That hadn't occurred to me. Speaking of that, when uh, Connor walks over to Mankin also and starts talking about Slovenia, he again seems to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, so and I don't think it's I don't think it's an act. He I think Roman, and I felt like that even before, Roman is just saying stuff to try to manipulate the situation to Mencken's way and thus in his direction as well. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. It hadn't occurred to me, but it wouldn't surprise me. Kendall's like, what about our deal? What about our deal? Mencken's saying, I thought you were the sound system. Now you're trying to pick the tracks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's not even any level of humility to them. They just swarm Mankin now like they think they're going to get everything they want. Once again, very childish. You would figure as an adult, if somebody in the room owes you a favor or something, you could come walk over there and kind of have a coded way of communicating with each other, especially with a politician, and they just swarm him like like vultures. Mm-hmm. Roman comes over and Mankin calls him the grim, grim weeper. Yes. Tiny tears, oh tiny my tears. Gosh, yeah. Mocks him to his face. It's it's On what, what the a relay. day of his father's funeral. Holy cow, that was cold. Yes. And to Kendall's credit, Kendall's like, hey, hey, steps up into the role of the big brother defending his little brother, even to Benkin, who of course he's desperate to impress. Then Schiff comes in and says, I'm your extraction team. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you like to meet Lucas? I like how she's just like, oh, thank God you get me out of that situation. And then she's like, well, I got to introduce you to somebody. He's like, oh, great. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> I like when they're all talking and he's, uh, he says, so what do we have here? A liberal, a conservative, and what's your philosophy? <laughs> mm-hmm. His philosophy is privacy, pussy, and pasta. <laughs> Yikes. Which 
Shiv translates as anarcho-capitalist Parmesan. <laughs> he makes the pitch now. Hey, how about an American CEO that'll make your nationalistic fans? Maybe that's something they'll be willing to buy. He also says, hey, why would I want to partner with you? Like, how do you help me? You know, you don't like me, apparently. And she goes, our audience likes you, and that's good for business, so that's good for mm-hmm. me. So what do you think at this moment when Shiv says this? Mencken is this threat of being like a fascist or whatever, but from what we've seen of him, and despite this demagogic speeches he gives when we do see him, he's saying, I'm not a politician, I'm not a politician. Behind closed doors, he seems to be exclusively thinking about making moves. Like, how do I win this election? How do I gain power? He doesn't seem to be ideological, at least not in these interactions. So first of all, what did you think about Mencken? Do you think he represents anything at all? Or maybe am I being naive in that a fascist wouldn't operate this way? And what do you think about Shiv basically betraying everything she supposedly stands for to uh, potentially get this position? I guess to take it in the reverse order, I have problems with Shiv's character. And I find it totally believable that she's a not in my backyard type of liberal, right? Where she would be like, yeah, this is theoretically what we should all do. But when it comes down to it, what I care about is me and my life. And so to me, this is consistent with who Shiv is. And I think she still has that idea in her head of what's right and wrong. But in the end, what's in it for me is the question. So that lines up to me. And then as far as Mencken, we haven't seen enough of him, I feel, to really understand what's going on here. Because to me, I felt like that response to Roman was so brutal for somebody that is part of the family that declared you the winner when they didn't have to. It felt like he should be trying to ingratiate himself my read of it was like, now he feels like he's got all the power and he doesn't need these people anymore. Just in defense of that one point, I would say that Mencken and Roman maybe bond, and maybe Mencken is a good match for Lucas as well, Matson, because that is how they speak to each other, right? If this was the PGN family, right? And their matriarch died and one of the kids, siblings went up there and broke down and was weeping uh, on some meme, Roman would be lambasting them, would be mocking them incessantly. That is their personas to to each other. their face the day of the funeral? (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, that's a little cruel. I understand talking behind someone's back. (laughs) (laughs) I take your point, but I just felt like, wow, that's brutal timing. And again, like to their face. I don't know. I feel like um, Mencken is just a mercenary. He'll say whatever and do whatever to get what he wants. You know, obviously he, (laughs) as sick as it sounds, dog whistling uh, that he's a fascist could get him elected somehow and maybe be mainstream, look or seem mainstream enough or intelligent enough to get moderates to vote for him as well, or some of them enough to win this election. But then when he's actually in power and considering we have like three branches of government, he may have used this as a lever to get into power and then he may just be more pragmatic as a leader. 
I maybe this is all a moot point because we're not going to have a spinoff show. Although maybe right. we could talk about spinoffs we'd like to see. I would like to see like a Veep like show with <laughs> Mencken <laughs> trying to whatever placate his white supremacist fan base and try to be an actual functional political candidate as well. That might not be a bad spinoff for the show. <laughs> we'll have to I mean, you know, it might be that version of 2016 where there were many people who said. Yeah. Oh, Trump just said these things to get elected. But we oh, yeah. see mm-hmm. once he's the president, it's not going to be like that. We all know how it actually played out. But there right, was right. a very, you know, pretty entrenched school of thought that it was not going to be what it was. Oh, my God. How many people now, every one of these people who were in his inner circle, write a book and they talk about all the craziness that happened behind the scenes and they were loyal to him until mm-hmm. the very end, until the riots even, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're just like, let me tell you what was going on behind closed doors. It's like, well, thanks a lot for <laughs> yes. you know, almost, you know, ending in Burning your own down words. The almost, democracy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In your own words, almost <laughs> having a catastrophic war or something. And you just kept your mouth shut until you could make more money telling the story mm-hmm. than keeping your mouth shut. So that's what you did. So I think you make a valid point there. You know, there's not like we're gonna jump ahead. Six months right, later, to see, yes, <laughs> he declared martial law. You know, like we're not going to have that <laughs> that at the end of the show. Maybe we will, though. Who knows? Maybe that will be how it ends. You know, like Marilyn Tyler Moore, like in mid-flight, like it could be Roman, like in mid-leap, and then a, a placard telling us how everybody turned out a year later. <laughs> I would love that. Roman killed himself six months later. Oh, <laughs> poor Roman. <laughs> Should I feel sympathy for Roman? Come on, come on. He's a monster. He is a monster who obviously has done no work on himself whatsoever. So (laughs) none, none, whatever it is, it is. But, you know, I do have some sympathy for like that little boy that was crying for his dad. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how you can go from seeing Roman last week. And I think we said it right here on the show. He's completely irredeemable last week's episode. And like you said, you're you're sympathetic towards him. So it's an amazing thing that they're able to pull off here on the show. They referenced it again in this episode. Roman did not, in fact, pre-grieve. Roman <laughs> oh, indeed, he did not. Has yes. not even begun to grieve. <laughs> exactly. He's just, yeah, just the tip of the iceberg so far. Yeah. Another incredibly important scene, I think, to break down. We see Tom and Shiv. They run into each other here at this ceremony or- Reception thing, yeah. Reception, of whatever you want to call it. Caroline comes over and congratulates Tom. <laughs> Tom says, if it wasn't a total disaster, it would be a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this again. I feel like speaking of not being able to get a whole woman in your mind in a show full of incredible performances, obviously, but characters also, I feel like they can't, they don't know how to address Shiv. They don't know how to make her a believable character to me. Oftentimes, I just don't feel like I get her motivations, her biography. Mm-hmm. Her, I think that's fair. Yeah, her interiority. I just don't get it. She's a little um, underserved on this show in general. And what we would need is more scenes like this because it reminds me of the conversation between her and her mother last year. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. He's talking about you should not have children and the reasons why. And then here at this moment, the way that they are saying these cutting things to each other without actually saying them is just incredible. Are you all right, Bashish? I mean, it's hard. Oh, no, I'm not going to see it. I'm just going to do the family way. Oh, right. No, that'll work fine. If you don't see it, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, they don't grow up emotionally stunted, do they? I shouldn't think so. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. Caroline. Oh, darling. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck me. Wow. Your mom. You learned to disassociate fairly early. She says, how are you going to manage this with the kids? And Shiv goes, I'm just going to do it the family way, you mm-hmm. know, where I never see them. Mm-hmm. They keep yes-anding each other. Caroline goes, yeah, that's <laughs> great. It's great to raise them where you don't see them anytime. Shiv says, oh, they don't grow up emotionally stunted at all. Mm-hmm. Caroline says, oh, no, I don't think so. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's just when she literally did this to her daughter, right? So mm-hmm. this interaction is just, there's... Once again, in like every time they're together and they're, we needed to see more of this. Unfortunately, I don't think we got enough of it. Maybe we'll see more of it next week. It's all the things they don't say to each other when they're talking to each other, which is just so incredible. It's fascinating writing between these two characters. Yeah. Mother-daughter relationships are complicated in the best yes. circumstances. <laughs> right. and, and, and this is like the worst circumstances. So there are just <laughs> yes. layers upon layers upon layers of history, resentment, grievances, all of it playing out, you know, every single time they see each other. Once again, it's not just the writing because it's really what works here is what's not being written on the page. It's really Mm -hmm. in the performances. And I really feel like these actresses should have spent more time on screen together because there's just these moments where you see Shiv say something and she just absorbs it, go back and forth. And every one of these quips back and forth at each other, you know, there's like all these history, all these stories that are mm-hmm, these, mm-hmm. <laughs> these wounds that are being reopened. And it's incredible. And here she is, Shiv, about to pass this on to her child potentially as well. Once they're alone again, Tom admits, he kind of admits without explicitly saying it, that he could have been there. He really just couldn't face the being present with Logan again, I assume. Also, he's so and, tired. <laughs> he's still so tired. <laughs> he has not slept in like a week. <laughs> he gets very emotional. He says... And he was the first one in there to see him. So he Mm -hmm, did get to mm -hmm. say goodbye to him. Tom can be very, very wounded and is always playing tough. We just saw this interaction between Shiv and her mom where they can cut each other and then act like nothing's happening in these interactions with each other. Tom is just an open wound here. And Shiv really is compassionate to him here and tells him to just go and rest. And he doesn't want to go back to the hotel. They know who I am there. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. And she says, no, he could go and sleep in their apartment. So that's mm-hmm. the, the olive branch here that maybe there is still a chance for these two, right. at least. And I mean, honestly, I think the fact that Shiv cried about this the other day uh, on the show, Carrie, of all people, is mourning the dad in a way that she feels like most people are not. They're all just angling. So here she has Tom in this moment, traumatized by the death of Logan, and they share this moment of, of compassion. But of course, immediately after that, after this tender moment, she gets a call from Matson, and she's like, ooh, the deal is on. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> these people, just terrible people. <laughs> yeah. Still no explanation about how a smart woman with every resource in the world has an accidental pregnancy. I just want to know. You know, these people have very crazy jet-setting lives. You, you know, you forget to take your pill. <laughs> she missed the time zones on the birth control <laughs> Yes, <pill>. exactly. Maybe. <laughs> She couldn't make it to CVS to pick up their prescription. Tom specifically brings it up. How did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Yes. She was thinking about maybe even getting rid of it. Yes. I have a theory about the pregnancy storyline in this show, by the way. Not my theory. It's on the internet, but I'll get to it when we get to the final thoughts. Kendall meets up with Roman and tells him, look, you fucked it Mm -hmm. with Mankin. And Roman says, don't worry about it. We have ATN so we can still hurt him. Which, of course, is kind of a moot point because if they sell the Matson, then Matson can control what ATN says to a large extent. So they don't really need them in, in that particular case. Roman is kind of still feeling like he has more of a hand to play than he does. Right. And Kendall says, but don't worry, I'm going to fix it. 
but you have to back me. We have to make our pitch to the board. And I'm going to jump ahead here that we hear in uh, scenes from next week, basically these different family members making their pitch for why they should control the company. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be some kind of power struggle in the boardroom, right? They're going to have the, they're going to have all the players on the board there and they're going to have to pick a new CEO. And I think that's going to be part of the end game here of the show. As Roman takes all this in, he heads out. And of course, we've opened this episode with Rome on the very, very, very high, high. And here we are here, Roman, we're with Roman again at the end, just had this conversation with Kendall. As he walks by Jerry and the other leadership, they are circulating a video of him breaking down in the Uh, church, which apparently is circulating on social media, humiliating to him, obviously. We could just hear him whimpering the audio of it. Carl's mocking him behind his back as he just walks by just out of earshot. And then he wanders outside, and speaking of going back to your old patterns, we have him walk into the bull parade, as they call it, of these protesters going down the avenue, and basically is asking to get beat up, and he finally takes an Mm -hmm. elbow to the face. And I assume that's not the only one he's going to take over the course of the night. He has this sadomasochistic thing where he has, since he was a child apparently, gotten Mm -hmm. into these situations where he gets beat up when just looking to humiliate himself. And that's where we end the episode. And I thought this was really well done. The acting was amazing, really nicely set up for the end of the series. I know the last episode is going to be an extra long episode, but yeah. you know, it just does seem a lot. I, I mean, I feel like we have to accept it's not going to be tied up with a neat little bow because that's just right. not possible given what they yeah. started in motion here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a board meeting that decides who the CEO is going to be, which is not that sexy. <laughs> We do see an airplane and see some people on an airplane over the course of the scenes from next week. So I assume they're also going to head out to the Caribbean. So maybe we get like almost two finales, the crowning Mm -hmm, of the CEO, mm -hmm. and then kind of like the family assessing everything together. Good Uh, point. But I don't know if it's going to be a flashy finale. I was still hoping that they were going to come up with something really clever to be one of these you know, knockout finales. This might be more muted than that. And this isn't the kind of show that would have that. I was just hoping for it, right? But mm-hmm. maybe it's not It's not going to be that kind of um, finale, which is fine, actually. It's you know, uh, I'll make one criticism of the show, and it is partially around the same critique I have that I feel like Shiv is not really that well-defined. The idea that Mencken would say, yeah, if I got to pick one of you guys, I'm going to go with Shiv as CEO with Madsen's purchase of the company, which isn't great for him if he's trying to say, hey, I'm this nationalist. You know, when you think about Trump, for example, once again, just to bring up some corollary to the real world, he talked about how he wanted to have more immigration from like Scandinavian countries. So maybe there's a certain lean where you could be the right kind of immigrant, right? Like there's that idea that was popularized and, you know, not only among Trump, but among others as well. So maybe there's not so much of that, but still he could just kind of keep things with Kendall. I do think what I do believe in this episode is that he does not like Kendall. He thinks Kendall is a brat. He's um, hasn't earned what he has. And he saw him give that eulogy. He knows he can be charismatic and win over a crowd. All things that are not good for Mencken, I don't think. But that he would line up with Shiv, that seems like a, a stretch. Like, why would he do that? I don't see it that way. I see it more as far as a political agenda of, you know, there's people that feel like government should not be interfering in business. Business is business and let people do what they want to do. If they want to sell the company, they can sell the company. Who cares about antitrust laws or, you know, anything like that? 
I would see it not really as siding with Shiv, but as siding with anti-big government. I can imagine that Matson and Mencken, regardless of their politics, like kind of Elon Musk and some of these alt-right people could be simpatico because they're just like, hey, I like to be outlandish. I believe in free speech. I like to make Nazi jokes. <laughs> you know, like maybe you're a real Nazi, but hey, we still both like making Nazi jokes. Maybe they get along. And yeah, if he wants to foment some kind of cultural change, social media is more effective than uh, politics, right? For getting a message out. So why not partner with Mike, uh, with Madsen, right? True. I could see, in other words, I could see Matson and Mencken getting along. He has to be able to see through shit right away and being like, you're telling me what I want to hear right now, right? Like he's got to be able to see through that. Uh, and I can understand why that might be more appealing than Kendall, who he might see as some kind of threat, who might try to control the agenda to some extent. And Roman, I honestly feel like whatever they had going on before, he saw Roman at that moment and he's not, Roman's not going to be his boy anymore. That's over, right? Mm -hmm. So I see that happening as well. So maybe that only leaves Shiv in his mind or more importantly, Matson backing Shiv, right? So I think that might be mm -hmm. where, where that kind of makes sense, but it's kind of a stretch, I got to say. I don't think it really has to do with the people involved at all. It's just laissez-faire. Yeah. I, I think in general, you're right. My only disagreement there, I would say, is that he did bring up like, you know, well, this is regulatory. It's not really up to me. Uh, you know, he could very well just wash his hands of it. And like, what does he care? Right. I mean, he should yeah. care. Right. Because ATN is the, his biggest promotional voice. Right. So he should care about this ATN purchase to some extent. He should. I'm just thinking, I don't know if he feels confident enough in having secured the presidency that he feels like he doesn't need them anymore. He might feel like they're bigger. He's bigger than ATN at some point. Right. Okay, the first thing I want to bring up here is this idea of, you know, I am not in psychotherapy, and maybe you have some insight into this, Sona, but there's this idea of the familiarity principle in psychotherapy. Do you know this? No, I don't. Why do people who are, for example, very empathetic, they oftentimes end up with narcissists? Because like a narcissist needs to feed off of that empathy, mm -hmm. so they'll kind of find that person as a, as a target and then feed off of them. And you can imagine how, if we want to correlate it to the show, the weird relationship that Roman has with these narcissistic people, oftentimes, maybe he's the empathetic person and he doesn't want to admit that, but apparently he does seem to have empathetic leanings. And then he finds these narcissists because they're the people who feed off of that empathy. And then oftentimes when you see people repeat these patterns of getting into abusive relationships, for example, with the same type of narcissistic people, there's this question as why do they gravitate to it. And then there's this idea of the familiarity principle, which is that you don't gravitate to something that's going to be good for you or something's going to be bad for you. You simply keep gravitating to the thing you're familiar with. So if mm -hmm. you happen to be in abusive relationships, you're going to end up in another one unless you become conscious of it and break the cycle. Sure. Right? So that's the sure. basic uh, idea behind that. And I do think about that in the context of the show. It's like, you know, it could be a bug or a feature of the show that you can think about how everybody's relationships continuously reset. But that's also probably true to life, right? The people do not just overcome their problems and acknowledge them and then move on. And it happens with Kendall as you see him spin out of control and then reset once again as he fails and then start over again. And you see it with Shiv in that she tries to present herself as one thing and then she's not. And if anything, you see that maybe Tom is the empathetic person who is with this narcissistic uh, mm -hmm, Shiv character, mm -hmm, although mm -hmm. she probably isn't aware that she's one of these people, which is very troubling <laughs> when you think about that. Although I think there's a lot of people who are narcissists 
who I mean, are not she aware has of it. very little self-awareness, though. So that <laughs> yes, is I, I, clear. Agreed. And also, I think it's that pattern we see with Roman, who looks to get beaten up because of his screwing up this situation with Megan. I think it's a very valid thing, valid, true thing that happens in everyday life. So I think it's very accurate that that would happen with these characters, although we're seeing a very extreme version of it. And I think we're we're seeing a version where nobody has any interest in changing, maybe where it departs somewhat from real life, at least this type of person in the city that generally has had a therapist since they were an adolescent and well, a Connor, right? We saw a Connor. Do you think, I mean, Connor, yes, but do you think these other people, these people would be terrified to go see a therapist? Do you you think? I mean, I'm sure they're all on some sort of medication that at least (laughs) (laughs) necessitates regular psychiatric visits. I don't know. I feel like it's just that culture of, of growing up in the city. It's kind of like you automatically get assigned your own therapist when you reach adolescence. I do think they would have a lot of walls up, but something at some point might sink in. I mean, to be this mired and dig your heels in this much, it just seems unlikely that they would, as a group, excluding Connor, be so disinterested in changing these patterns, which clearly are causing them more unhappiness than happiness when these people, regardless of what decisions they make, will never have to worry about money in their lives. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I wanted to circle back to is that very idea. Oftentimes people who need to come to terms with these issues because they are destroying their lives what happens when you're in a situation where being a terrible person, acting like a sociopath is rewarded, right? You get money, you right. get power, mm-hmm. you get prestige, you get uh, you know relationships out of it. Uh, like let's talk about Tom and Shiv, for example, uh, just to name one. Why would you change your pattern of behavior, right? When you're getting rewarded for it, right? So I think that's kind of a critique here potentially of the amorality, uh, if not immorality of being motivated by profits all the time. The thing is that, we do see, at least with Kendall and Shiv, some amount of conflict yes. internally with the decisions they're making and the consequences of those decisions. So what doesn't add up to me is like, in real life, I think money motivates a lot of poor decisions, right? Like a lot of women stay in marriages that they should not be in because they cannot support themselves on their own. There's a correlation between women becoming more educated and working more and the divorce rate going up because women didn't need to stay in those unhealthy relationships the way they used to need to stay. To me, like when we see that conflict, the natural consequence should be that there is a limit. Maybe we just haven't seen that limit reached yet because none of them are all that old, right? Like they're not into the latter halves of their lives yet, I don't think we're supposed to feel. So maybe that is coming, that reconciliation. And right now they're still in that idea of like being ambitious and striving and grinding and not thinking about what it all really means. And I do think that realistically, all of this stuff would come home to roost at some point. I mean, you and I have discussed before, I feel for a lot of people that happens when they become a parent. So it would be interesting to see for Shiv how that plays out. But we see Kendall does have kids and it's just, in, it's increasing his conflict, but he still is on the side that he's on. To, to some of the things you just mentioned there, you have Connor who's older, who right. maybe is 
more pivoting into that point of letting go of some of these things. And like you said, you know, when you're in that age, when you're in your late 30s, early 40s, which I assume is the age range for these characters. I'm thinking, yeah. It is when you're trying to like prove yourself out, right? Like you're trying to make a name for yourself. So maybe they are still in that striving point in their lives. Uh, On the other side of it, you know, you have Shiv's mother who, (laughs) you know, obviously should know better by now. And she's still a terrible, selfish person uh, (laughs) late late in her life who just wants to live in luxury, hang out with famous people, even if they're fascists, it's okay. To your point, some people can change, some people can't. But once again, it goes back to the idea that if you're rewarded the entire time, why would you change? Why would you need to change, right? But you also make a valid point that they are troubled by this, right? Right. They seem unhappy. That's why. (laughs) If Caroline was ever troubled by the moral decisions she was making, that was a very, very long time ago, right? (laughs) So maybe this is the time for them to make those decisions or just live with them and say, well, this is it. This is it for me. Right. Which is still living in luxury, by the way. (laughs) So it's okay either way. I do find that interesting. What one more takeaway maybe from this specific episode is that, you know, all this rioting is happening outside. If you turn on the news for five minutes, everyone's talking about like what chaos this is going to be. There may be diplomatic issues around the world. If this is a contested relationship, it could have huge repercussions to the stock market, to the future of America. And these people in their bubble could care less. Like it, it, it doesn't affect them at all. They're going to get on their private jet and hang out on an island and none of it matters to them at all. Right. So it goes back to that idea that it doesn't matter if New York City is burning down uh, to Kendall's point, like, you know, just come hang out with us because he's just saying like, well, yeah, the city could be on fire, but your penthouse is not going to be on fire. Like, what are you worried about? And so they have the luxury of not caring about the consequences of their action. And maybe that's another point that's being made here. Mm hmm. All right, here's the theory I was going to bring up, just because we've talked about it here. Not important to anything (laughs) in the show, but maybe relevant to some of the decisions in Shiv's pregnancy. The theory that's going around is that Sarah Snook announced that she was pregnant. This was a while ago, almost like a year ago. But this show shoots for a really, really long time. So it's Mm -hmm. possible that they started shooting the show and then that she announced her pregnancy to the writers. And then they were like, well, maybe we don't have to address the pregnancy in the show. And then maybe at some point it was like, well, she's obviously pregnant. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we should address it in the show. And she could have been eating her feelings. They could have gone that route. That's true. That's a good point. And then there's a theory of the case saying that they retroactively added the pregnancy late in the game. And to support this theory, and nobody on the show has announced this, but it's just some speculation online. People have said, there's only like two scenes in the whole entire show, like when she's on the phone with uh, her obstetrician, but there's only a couple of scenes where she even acknowledges her pregnancy until we get very, very late in the show, which might explain why she didn't tell everybody, which might explain a lot of the weirdness like you've picked up on and like, what's yes. so weird how they're dealing with her pregnancy. It might've been something that they retroactively injected into the show. And then of course it becomes incredibly relevant in the past couple episodes, but before then they almost didn't know how to use it. And it also speaks to the fact about her drinking in some scenes, even though Mm -hmm. she apparently would have known she's pregnant the whole entire time. And then only sometimes she doesn't drink, but then she was drinking the episode before and some of that weirdness. Although she fully drank that champagne in this episode, right? But She did. She's like, yeah, the mocking Mm -hmm. Tom about it too. Like, oh, I'm going to do it. Once again, that could be something they're retroactively throwing in because she drank champagne earlier when she was pregnant. Right. (laughs) She's that type of person. Yes. So it might be them rewriting it as well because they might have realized, though we have that scene where she drinks champagne. We'll address it again here. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
hey, if she lived in France, they'd be drinking the whole time. So <laughs> there you sure. Go. So yeah, I just wanted to let you know, just because I know it's been something that's been rubbing you the wrong way. Yeah, no, I see that point because in that early episode, I, I pointed out she's really like tugging at her jacket, clearly trying to do things that would disguise that she's pregnant. And that, you know, to me was a very specific affectation. And then she completely dropped it in the next episodes, all the tugging at her jacket and trying to look like she's not pregnant. So it didn't make any sense to me that they would make that choice to have her do those things. And then theoretically, the more pregnant she is, the less she's doing those things. That doesn't, it just didn't add up for me. Right. Yeah. Although, I mean, I think uh, it is interesting. Maybe earlier on, it seemed kind of weird. Why would they add this to the show? I think you made that commentary. I think it has become more relevant here. So once again, speak to the fact that maybe earlier, they just reshot two or three scenes to add it. And now it's more integrated into the writing process. So this is why it feels more relevant. This, uh, you know, mm-hmm. think about the scenes between her and her mom in this episode, for example. True. That might explain some of the awkwardness of that. It could also be that they have problems writing women, <laughs> which I do think <laughs> they do have sometimes. I oftentimes feel you have the women who are the most interesting on the show are the ones that oftentimes are just kind of, you have to guess at what they're, you know, where, where their mind's at. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's the actresses doing most of that work. And then, of course, when they try to really fully develop a character like Shiv, I feel like they don't quite know what to do with her. So I do think that's one of the limitations in this show. All that being said, I still think this is an incredible show, one of the best written shows of all times. I just feel like Shiv is just maybe underserved here compared to some of these other characters. Yeah, I agree with that. Even Jerry. You know, I think about Jerry. Uh, she became a big part of the show in the middle, you know, maybe the middle two seasons but early on, she was this really impressive character purely based on performance because she was, you know, she would say three lines of dialogue in the whole entire episode, right? So, <laughs> all right, Sona, thank you again. We will touch base later this week. The finale, the season finale of Yellow Jackets, and then the finale wow. of Succession. Just a couple of days. Yeah, because I didn't realize these were both coming in the same week. Wow. Yeah, same week. Very, very busy. And then The Idol. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, so <laughs> <laughs> I get what I deserve at this point for not watching a two-minute trailer over about a month of time that you have given me. So <laughs> at this point, you can't back out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had a chance, and I let the opt-out period That's expire. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, oh, and you, by, by chance, you didn't check out um, High Desert. Did you check it out? No, but I did actually watch the preview this time before. Okay before watching the most recent episode of that Jennifer Garner thing and the finale actually of the Jennifer Garner thing, which did, by the way, have some very nice closing moments. It was very, the way it wrapped up was very sweet. I still don't think it was good, but the way it wrapped up was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I did watch the little preview and it did seem very fun. Yeah. I found it fun and uh, I'll probably stick with it. 30 minute commitment. I'll stick with it. Yeah. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. And uh, we will, uh, Talk again later this week. Yeah, some big conversations coming up. Big conversations, that's right. (laughs) Big, big, big shoes, big shoes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. Talk to you later.